I want to set a scene for you. Imagine 11 grown men inside of a room on the outskirts of town. And these guys are terrified. They've got themselves quarantined into a room and they're terrified, but they're not terrified of some airborne virus. These guys are terrified of violence because these 11 guys just saw their leader, their best friend, the guy who they've been following around for three years, murdered brutally on a cross. And they're inside this room, tucked away from the rest of society, wondering what's going to happen next. The room is full of anxiety. The room is full of fear. But something happens. Something happens. And I want to show you what happens. If you got a Bible, you can turn to the book of John. John chapter 20, verse 19 is where we'll start. This is what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and he showed him his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, before we dive into how unique today is and how uh, different all of us are experiencing what's going on in our country right now, I want the attention and the focus to be on Jesus. And I want you to understand, even in this passage, what's happening now is not something that is really even kind of new. That This idea of, of locking ourselves in a room and being afraid of what could happen that could come in from the outside is something that is actually in Scripture. And one of the things that's fascinating about this is the very first words that are out, out of Jesus' mouth. I want you to not miss it. This is what he says. Jesus, in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their anxiety, walks in the room, and the first word out of his mouth, did you see what it was? Peace. Peace be with you. And my prayer for you today, I don't know where you're watching this at, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's in a car, whether it's on a phone, whether it's on a computer, whether it's on a TV. I have no idea. But here's the deal. Regardless of if your door is locked, my prayer is that you would understand right now, Jesus is walking into your room. He is here with you, he is real with you, and he is in there. And I want you to not miss what happened in this. Jesus walks into the room and he says, peace be with you. And then he shows them the reason for that peace. He tells them to look at the scars on his hand. And then he lifts up his robe and he shows them the scars on his side. And he says, because of these wounds... You are now at peace, and you can now experience peace. And then Jesus does something that we're terrified of people doing right now. He breathes on them. And he didn't just breathe some sort of airborne illness or virus. Jesus breathes airborne divinity into these men, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And so before we go any further, before we dive into even our text for today as we continue in this breakout series, and again, the irony that that is what we're talking about is not lost on me, before we go there, I want you to see, one, Jesus walking into your room, there, present with you in the midst of your fear, anxiety, and even quarantine, and his presence there, and the fact that he, by what he did, victorious, on the cross, through the empty grave, breathes his spirit into you, and now you can connect with God in a fearless way. And that's my prayer. If you would... Uh, today has, has been a day that's kind of been identified and marked as prayer in our country. And so uh, I want to take a second and, and just pause 
before we dive into the word for today and, and pray, pray hard. I want to invite you wherever you're at right now to even begin to pray that Jesus would find his way, that he would walk in, that you would even tell him, Jesus, you are welcome in this place. Come and be with me. Show me your wounds, that my wounds may be healed. Breathe your spirit into my life so I may be more in tune with you. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you come in and stand among us? Would you be peace among us? Would you dispel the fear? Would you bring victory through this situation, God? Would you bring victory uh, to your world, God? Everyone is wondering. Everyone is questioning. Everyone is concerned, and, and nobody really has great answers, Jesus. And so I, I pray that you would come in and you would allow your word today, your presence here with us today, to be what brings us the peace we all so desperately crave. As we're all scattered out in our unique locations, God, tucked away in homes and rooms, I pray that the promise that you have the capability to walk through walls and walk through doors reminds us, God, that you are with us. You are an omnipresent Savior, and you are here with us now. And I pray that we hear from you now. In your name, amen. So, obviously, things are unique here. Um, I want to get some things out of the way very first and foremost, though. First and foremost thing is this. You cannot cancel church. Church it has not been canceled. MCC's church has not been canceled. The church down the road's church has not been canceled. It is 100% impossible to cancel church. Here's why. Because you are the church. We are the church. It's impossible to cancel us because of what Jesus has done to initiate and set us up so that we can go. The reality is, though, we are going to start being church more and more in these sacred places, these crazy sacred places called your house. And so I don't know if you like look around your home right now and you're like, this is a sacred place because there's dishes over there and there's toys over there and there's kids with boogers over there. And you're like, this doesn't feel very sacred. The reality is, friend, wherever you find yourself right now, that is a sacred place. And I want you to understand there's this, there's this thing that has existed and Jesus put it in place to be what would allow the church to spread as fast as it is. It would operate in these two different fashions. One is the gathering of the church and the other is the scattering of the church. The, the church periodically would gather together. They would worship God. They would gather around his word. But then, and this has been the, uh, ex what's been happening since the very beginning of the church's existence, is they would gather and then they would scatter. And they would go into homes. They would go into places. And they would do life with other believers. They would do life with unbelievers. They would allow the word to become flesh through them. That's what's called the incarnation. And we are called to be incarnate believers because Jesus is inside of us. The problem is we put so much emphasis for our last decades leaning into the, scatter, the gathered church. And all our emphasis is, man, let's gather, let's gather, let's gather. But here's the deal. Sometimes when we do that, we can overlook the power that comes when God's people become the scattered church in our neighborhood, in our homes, in the city. 
And so I want you to know that while it may be hard for us to be able to uh, gather together and see each other face to face, that is not going to slow down the gospel and it's not going to slow down the way we connect with each other. So today we're going to be diving in to 2 Peter, specifically really verse 9 and almost only verse 9. So if you've got a Bible, you can go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. That's where we're going to stay and hang out today. So go there, grab your Bible. And I want you to know today... Um, if you have an ESV Bible, or if you're looking at this on your phone, you're probably not going to be able to do this, but if you're switching back and forth, if you can go to an ESV Bible, that's going to be what we're uh, diving into today. I love the way it translates some of these key passages, and there are some truths in here that I just wasn't comfortable with us not missing by going to a translation that didn't do a good enough job. And so that's going to be where we're going to lean into today. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to read verses 9 through 12 so you get a little bit more of the context, but this is what it says. But you, you, you who are listening to this, you who Peter was writing to, but you, you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy. Church, this is God's chosen word for us. And so we're in this series called Breakout. And what we've been doing in this series is talking about how we can break out of the things that hold us back from being who God has called us to be. And today we're diving in again to this idea of identity and how a misplaced and false identity can keep us from who God has called us to be. Now, I want to lay a couple of things right out. And so you'll be able to see these happening. If you remember what we talked about last week, we said that Jesus didn't just come so that we could kind of be stones on our own, that we could just be an island of people going and connecting with him, that he has built us up so that we would be better together. He continues on in this point and he says, okay, your identity is you are born again into a living hope. But then he says, it's not just about you. And so I want you to understand, I think this is why Peter leans into them uh, with the people he's writing to and why I'm trying to lean into you is this. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. A misplaced identity can never fulfill. It will always frustrate. If your identity is in the wrong place, you're going to spend a lifetime frustrated because true fulfillment will only come by having your identity and what God, what Jesus created it to be. The second thing that I need you to understand, and I'm going to lay this out here in front of you right now, and you're going to be able to see it kind of walk through the text as we dive into this today, and it's something that a lot of times, man, we miss this in our walk with Christ, and it's this. Salvation, like the fact that you are saved, salvation is not just about a new you. Salvation is about a new us. Write that down. Salvation is not just about a new you, a new, a new better version of you. Salvation is about a new us, a collective family. And this, this verse here, verse 9, that is what it is trying to prove. And Peter does an amazing job. And so what we're going to do, and I pray you got a Bible open, I pray you're looking at this, is we're going to go through this word by word, verse by verse, in, in, in just this one single verse of verse 9. And it is so jam-packed with God's truth. I pray you have a journal out. I pray you're taking notes because this is incredibly power stuff and I don't want you to miss it. So first off, he starts in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a chosen race. What race are you? Like if somebody asks you, what's, what's your race? What's your race? What would you tell them? I mean, we have to fill it out on all the things, you know, medical forms, doctor's forms, tactics. We have to fill it out on all these different things. What race are you? See, I believe that the point that Peter was trying to make here is that 
to a group of people who he was writing to that were not all one race. They were from all these different nationalities, all these different tribes. Peter was saying to them, again, circle back to the beginning of what I've already said. He says, you have been born again. So you have a race that you were born into. Like I was born being white. You may have been born being black. You may have been born being Hispanic. You were born into that, but Cedar says, that's not the be all end all. There's a greater importance. There's a greater uh, race. And it's the fact that you've been born again to this living hope through Jesus. And so what this means, practically speaking for you and I, is that when we look at each other, that first and foremost, the color we shouldn't see is, oh, there's a white guy. Oh, there's a black guy. Oh, there's a brown person. Oh, there's an Asian person. What Jesus is trying to say, and I think he's communicating this very well through Peter in calling us a chosen race, is that when we look at people, the color we should see is red. That we look at people and we see that is a soul, that is a human, that is a person that has incredible worth because the blood of God through Jesus Christ was spilled for that person. And he says, you are a chosen race. And practically speaking, what this looks like for us as a church is that we live under this new banner of unified diversity. Both of those words matter a whole lot. Unified diversity. We're not saying everybody come in and dress the same, look the same, have the same family values, have all this the same. He's saying, I want it to be diverse. I want it to be described by what everything came from because learning your story and your story and your story and your background and what your culture has unique about it will help us understand things about the gospel that I could never get from my white redneck nationality. I need yours to show me more things about God. But he says, above and beyond, your race is based off of your skin color or your background or the country you were born in. Your race is now defined by the blood of Christ and you are a chosen race. Next, he goes on from there. And this is crazy. He says, you are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Now, I I know some of you, you, you're probably like getting this message today and you're going, okay, like we didn't go to church today. Like, is somebody still going to, like, talk to my kids and, and lead our family in the idea of, like, what is church and how these things operate and go on? If, if that's kind of what you're thinking about, like, hey, if we're not going to have church for the next two weeks, maybe three weeks, who knows? Like, who, who's going who's gonna to lead us? Like, if that's you right there, I would just pause and say, you are a royal priest. Some of you, maybe men of God under the sound of my voice, maybe watching this somewhere. You've been waiting for a cue. You've been waiting for a sign to start leading your family spiritually. The coronavirus and the fact that they are not here and you are not here is your sign. If you have a Bible and you have a mouth and you have a brain, sir, you can begin to lead your family and take up a role in a position as a royal priest. Mom, single mom, this is your cue. We're not going to be able to minister and to serve your family in the exact same way, but we want to do everything we can to equip you with God's word to be able to pour into your family and to, so that you can lead them well because you are a royal priest. Now let's unpack what he means when he says you're a royal priest. See, priests, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. A, a priest, they would essentially have two roles. They represented God to the people and then they represented people to God. All right, so that's priests. Those are two primary roles. So first and foremost, if they are representing people to God, then what they're doing is they're being able to intercede on behalf. They're being able to take that to God. And what I love about this verse is what this means is we no longer need a priest. 
All of God's people up until, you know, Jesus came and did what he did and died the death that he died and rose like he did. They had to have this priest, this person who interceded and represented the people to God and then represented God to people, this holy man. But the reality is now, Jesus comes on the scene and says, that isn't necessary. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, uh, there's a verse in there that helps us understand what this is actually getting at. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. The author of Hebrews says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then... Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive the mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What the author of Hebrews is saying here and what Peter is communicating is that because of Jesus and the fact that he became just like you and just like me and faced the temptation I faced and faced the temptation that you faced and cried the same very real tears that you've cried and that I've cried. He faced everything that this world could throw at him as a man, as a human, a mankind just like you. And he was perfect. Because of that, we now have a high priest who knows what it's like to be us, walked in our shoes, was us with skin on, but was perfect. And now we can have access to God untethered, access to God, to be able to take our stuff to him. We don't need someone to intercede on our behalf. We don't need somebody to pray on our behalf. Jesus has done that. And he said, you are right with God. Now take up your mantle as a priest. Now practically speaking, look at the word priesthood. Like there's there's kind of two words in there, priest and hood. And, And for us, man, this is now more like obvious than ever. If you want to understand what it means to be a priesthood, here's a simple way that I've been trying to remember it, and it's very prevalent even right now. It's being a priest to your hood. It's being a priest in your neighborhood. So every one of you right now is probably in a sacred place called a home. And what that means is you are now a priest. You are chosen and elect by God to be able to represent him to people. And you can go to God and know you have full access to him. That's what it means to be a priest. Now listen, I know some of you, you hear that and you're like, bro, I feel way more hood than I feel priest. And I I get that because I have those days too where I feel like, man, I am definitely not a priest. I'm not even close to being a priest. But what Jesus promises us is that you are. And it's not because of what you have done or haven't done, but it's what Jesus has done and the finished work that he laid on display on the cross. But I love about this idea of a royal priesthood is it doesn't stop there. He says you are a royal priesthood. Now, royalty means that you have dominion, that there's power, that you have rule and reign capabilities within you. Think about it like this. Like, say um, you, for some reason, you know, you, you got like adopted and, and knighted into the royal family in Britain. What you would be able to do is you essentially be able to say, I want this, and uh, some guy named Joffrey or, or Jeffrey or however you would say it, some butler or somebody would bring you said thing, and you would have access to all those different things. What I want you to understand is in the same way, we as a royal priesthood of God, we now have dominion and power. And I think one of the biggest ways where we don't tap into this is the words we use, the words we say about each other, the words we talk about or even ourselves, that negative self-talk that goes in our head. It limits us from taking up that role of understanding, I am a royal priesthood. I have dominion. I have power in my words to be able to allow heaven on my behalf to come in and access to what I'm going through right now. So what this means is, Christian, your crown has already been bought and paid for. You have to choose, though, to take it up and wear it. And the crazy thing about this is where 
most earthly kingdoms would say, I am the king, I am royalty, the subjects exist to serve me. Jesus comes in and he flips that mindset completely on its head. And he says, I am starting a kingdom where I'm going to be the king, yet I did not come to be served, I came to serve. And so for us, if we take on this responsibility as a royal priesthood, what that means is we don't exist to have people serve us. That we take on the very nature of our King Jesus who took out and took off of his outer garments and he wrapped them around his waist and he got down and he washed people's feet. And so in the midst of this whole coronavirus COVID scare, my question is, if you are a royal priest, how are you representing the king that has brought you into the royal family? How are you representing him right now? How are you representing him online? How are you representing him by the amount of toilet paper you buy? How are you representing your king right now? Are you serving people? Are you doing everything that you can to protect yourself and to make sure your kingdom is insulated and isolated? He goes on from there and he calls them a holy nation. The key to understanding a holy nation is understanding that holy means you are set apart. You don't just set something apart so it's just out there. You set it apart for its purpose. You set it apart to protect it. You set it apart because you have something that you want to do. Now, some of you, you hear this idea of being set apart and this idea that is contained within the word holy. And you think about your own life. And you've had a lot of people say, you're just weird. You're, you're different. You're strange. You're, you're peculiar. What I want you to know is that's okay. That's actually what God says that his people are going to be. And that's the point that Peter is trying to make to them is that you're not like everybody else. You don't do what everybody else does. You are a holy nation. So we as a church, we are now part of a holy nation, a new race, a chosen group of people, a royal priesthood. And we act and we do things differently than the rest of the world does them. And what's wild about this is that if he ended the passage right there, it would be fertile ground for entitlement for us to just puff out our chest and go I am a chosen race I am part of a royal priesthood I am part of a holy nation I am God's chosen possession but that's not where Peter leaves it and I'm so glad he doesn't look what he says next 2 9 he says you are a people for his own possession that you may if you're an underliner of Bible verses, those three words, do not miss that. The whole reason you're part of a chosen race, the whole reason you're a holy nation, the whole reason you are his special chosen possession is that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The purpose of the possession is proclamation. The reason that Jesus has said, you are a holy nation, you are chosen, you are my special possession. He said, I am possessing you, not so that I can just hoard you and hug you. I am possessing you so that you can go out to proclaim what God has done in your life. How he has taken and met you in the midst of your darkness and turned it into his marvelous light. And so what this means, practically speaking for us, is there is power, so much power in our testimony. What God has done in our lives to take us from what was darkness into his marvelous light. I love what the book of Revelation says. It says that we overcome. We overcome fear. We overcome anxiety. We overcome. That's what this whole series is about is overcoming and breaking out of what's holding us back. He says the recipe for overcoming 
is the blood of the lamb, first and foremost, and then the word of our testimony. That's what leads us personally to overcome and us collectively to help a world that is being taken advantage of to break out of that and overcome through Christ. And so, you know, thinking about our own lives and what this really looks like is that if you are following Christ, you should have a bad case of the I can't help it. I can't help but talk about what Jesus is doing in my life. I can't help but give this money away. I can't help but go and still try to figure out who needs help, who can be served. Is there somebody who I can go meet a need for? You should have a bad case of the I can't help it. Because the reality is, it should not be hard for us to talk about something we love. Like if you came to me and you said, Trent, you're married to Jessica. Tell us about her. You love her, right? Tell us about her. How odd would it be and how curious would you get of my motives and the reality of whether or not I love her or not if when you asked me to tell you about this person I supposedly love, I said, you know, well, it's kind of personal and um, I I don't have everything figured out about her yet, which is very true. I I don't have everything figured out about her yet, but... um, I, I just, I, I don't know, I can tell you a little bit, but I, I don't know, maybe you should go, um, um, uh, you know, hear, hear from her or, or just talk to her, talk to her and, and you'll get it figured out. You would begin to question whether or not I really loved her. And I think a world sees a group of people who are called to be this chosen possession to proclaim and we're so fearful and intimidated and I think it communicates, man, do they really love who they say they love? Because the reality is, guys, if you got me in a corner or in a coffee shop somewhere and you said, hey, tell me about Jessica, it would get pretty uncomfortable for for you in about five minutes because I love her and I can't help but tell you these things. You'd be like, God, dude, I don't don't need to know where she's ticklish, okay? Like that's too much information. Because here's the deal, I love her. And because I love her, I have a bad case of that I can't help it. And I'm gonna proclaim who she is to me. And I pray that you have that same type of infatuated, like head over heels, love for Christ that you can't help but talk about who he is and what he's done. Now, I I hear some of you grumbling on the other side of the camera screen and you're going, but man, like, I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. I, I don't know how to do this. What I want you not to miss in this is Peter took the emphasis off the collective us that this whole passage revolved around and he says that you may and so i want you to hear in this you no longer have an excuse to stay silent there is something you have to do that you have been his chosen possession for a purpose and that purpose is to proclaim that and i know you may be afraid but here's the deal you don't have to have a seminary degree you don't have to have apologetics nailed down all you have to have is a testimony All you have to have is a story that essentially says, I used to live in darkness and then I met Jesus and now I don't. I used to be blind, but I met Jesus and now I'm found. You have to have a testimony that says, I was lost and then I met Jesus and now I'm found. I was hopeless and then I met Jesus and now I have hope. I used to be full of anxiety and then I met Jesus and now I have a supernatural peace in the midst of a a worldwide pandemic. I, I used to struggle with craving a temporary high. And then I met Jesus, and I found this eternal, everlasting joy. I used to be lonely, but I met Jesus, and he said he would never leave me or forsake me. I used to be uh, bound for hell until Jesus snatched me up, pulled me out of what I was in, and adopted me and brought me into this family. See, you don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to know what he's done for you. And that's how we proclaim, because we're possessed by him and his love. So my hope and my encouragement today, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching this, 
is that you would now begin to take up your true identity, our true identity, as a chosen race, as a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that we may proclaim the wonders of his love and how he pulled us out of darkness into light. And that we, God's people, in whatever new way, shape, or form it may take, go and be the church. A church that is calling us to love in new ways, ways we haven't figured out yet. And I pray that wherever you're at right now, you surrender how Jesus is leading and guiding you. Because he is. He's there. And I pray you understand who we are now more than ever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word that meets us where we're at, speaks to us in the midst of our pain, anxiety, and trouble, can help calm our nerves, free us from pain, bring hope to hopeless situations, bring friends around those who are incredibly lonely. I pray that we would be able to commune with you today. That whether it be over a, a meal with family, whether it be going to a, a restaurant and instead of sitting by ourselves, we maybe sit with somebody new. Whatever it may be, Jesus, I pray that we would be your people. The world's looking at us. They're confused as we are. I pray, Jesus, that we would operate out of love. That we would take your word seriously. When you, you made that promise, you, you said that perfect love casts out fear. And Jesus, we all, we, we, we lay our lives before you and we don't have to tell you this because you know this, but the reality is we're just confessing here. We are 100% incapable of loving perfectly. So Jesus, we beg you to fill in where we fall short so that we, your people, can be used by you to be instruments of peace, ones who by your perfect love, living and active through us, cast out all 